We are beginning a new sermon series today. We spent our summer exploring prayer, and today we are cracking open our Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're going to be journeying through this letter and seeing what it has for us today as followers of Jesus. So I'd like you to reach up over here and just kind of pull that down, buckle it in, <laughs> this is going to be a fun ride together. No one did it. I'm so disappointed. That's okay. <laughs> not one of you. <laughs> You're all not wearing your seatbelts. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, Matt's got the whole, yeah, he's on a roller coaster there. <laughs> you know, Philippians is a unique book, or you know, we call them books, but really this is a letter right? This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church or to a community of Christians in this Roman colony of Philippi. And I mean, Philippi would have been actually a wealthy city. There were fertile lands, there were abundant springs of water, and they had gold mines. I don't know if you knew that. It's also a very diverse city at the time to which Paul is writing to it. It was under Roman rule, but there were Thracians, there were Greeks, and there were Romans that were all living there. But the really interesting thing about this letter, to me, anyways, is actually its tone. See, if we look at the New Testament, we have a few different types of books, right? So we have the Gospels, which are like the story of Jesus' life, right? We've got four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those tell us the story of Jesus' life. And then that narrative continues with the book of Acts, which comes right after, and that's the, the continuation of the Gospels, right? Following the development of the church and these missionary journeys that happened and the spreading of the gospel all over the place. And, you, you know, it kicks off with Acts 1, and the followers of Jesus are being told to wait, wait until the Holy Spirit comes and sends them out on mission, and then the Spirit comes in this beautiful, amazing way at Pentecost, and then we read about Acts chapter 2, uh, the community of believers that is formed, right, as a result of the Spirit coming and being with them. Uh, and last week, if you're here, you would have told me reference this beautiful early community in Acts. Chapter 2, verse 44 in particular, it talked about how the believers came to live these lives in community that embodied generosity, and they were like sharing everything that they had. It was really beautiful. We've been inspired by this early expression of church in a very small way by adding a little section to our weekly e-blast called A244, which is for Acts 244. And it's just a place where people in our church can share their excess, share the bounty that they have in their lives, or they can share their needs, the things that they need, and we can practice generosity together as a community. I'm so excited about it. If you don't get the e-blast, talk to me, talk to Jen. She's not here today, so talk to me, uh, and we'll get you signed up for that. Uh, but in Acts chapter 2, we have this beautiful community of the church, and then they're scattered by persecution right? And the gospel, as a result of that persecution and the scattering of the believers, the gospel spreads all over the place, right? And then we follow some of these missionary journeys and all of these emerging Jesus communities that bubble up that are churches in different cities and different places. And almost the entire rest of the New Testament is letters. And these are letters written by Paul and written by others, James, John, there's some that we're not quite sure who wrote them, and, and they're, they're letters that are written to these Jesus communities, to these churches. But almost every single letter is corrective in some way, right? Like they're written because that early Acts 2 church, in all of its beauty and simplicity, didn't last very long, right? You get fighting and arguments and who's in and who's out and people doing really not nice things in the name of Jesus. We see uh, brokenness and power struggles rise up. And to be honest, 
it's actually like a little bit encouraging to me. <laughs> I know that sounds strange, but the idea that these people in like the early, early church, some of whom even knew Jesus personally, like they would have like met him. The idea that they still sometimes get things wrong, that is a real helpful reminder to me when my perfectionism starts to rise up. That it's okay, <laughs> that this is normal, this is the part of being together with people. And, uh, and then we go to God's word and hopefully it becomes this corrective letter to us, right? Drawing us back into this picture that Christ painted for us, the Holy Spirit painted for us of who we are to be as the church. It isn't just the bad news of sin and brokenness, right? Those punitive letters that come. It's also uh, clothed in the amazing good news and grace and invitation to be the people who Jesus has called us to be. There's an invitation to these communities to come back on track as members of God's family, though sometimes it's in the form of some pretty choice words. <laughs> so Philippians, as I said, though, is a bit of a unique letter, right? And one of the main reasons that is a unique letter is because it is really not a punitive letter. It really is not a corrective letter. By all accounts, Paul is writing full of joy to one of his favorite communities, to, to these people who have been living out the gospel where they are. They've been healthy, they've been strong, they've been generous, and they've only had like kind of like little minor issues with disunity. So this, this book of the Bible that we're going to begin journeying through together is unique because it's not, it's not this, um, it's not a kind of letter that's like, okay, folks, you've got to get yourself into shape. It's actually this kind of letter that's like, continue on in this good work that you are already doing. It's like this, it's this encouragement, and it's full of encouragement and joy. And in a lot of ways, when I think about the Philippian church, the church in Philippi, I'm reminded of our church here. Like, are we perfect? No, of course not. But we have this healthy, faithful, generous generous little community of people who are seeking to follow Jesus well. You know, before I officially started, just before I officially started as the pastor of the church, I had an opportunity to go to a meeting with some folks from our denomination, and I got to speak with our bishop, Cliff Fletcher. And one of the things that he said to me, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to be at Blue Mountain Community Church. That's so exciting. And he said, you know, Blue Mountain Community Church, this is a church that I would send a friend to. That's what he said about this church. That's what our bishop said. He said, that's a church that I would send a friend to. That's, that's a good church you have there. And I think that Philippi was a church that Paul would probably send a friend to. And I think, I hope, that as we explore this letter, there's actually a lot of things for us to learn from the things that Paul had to share with this community of believers in Philippi. Now, I know that I said we were finished with our series on prayer, but I actually want to start us off today by looking at the last section of the text, and then we're going to go back to the beginning of it, a little bit backwards. The last section of the text, this was um, Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi. And this, this section is actually the reason that I found myself drawn to study this book together as a church. Um, Tim read it for us earlier. I'm going to reread it again in the message translation. So this is Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11. So it says, So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish, and that you will not only love much, 
but love well. You need to use your head to test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent and not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life that Jesus would be proud of, bountiful in its fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all and getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. See, I encountered this section in my own devotional reading sometime back in June or July, and it very quickly became my prayer for our church. And I don't know precisely why, but God laid this so deeply on my heart, and so I started praying for this for our community, that our love would flourish and that we wouldn't just love lots, and I mean we love lots, right? But that we wouldn't just love lots, but we would love well. And that this love, that by this love, everyone would be able to see the beauty of Jesus. So actually, before we go any further and start to explore the other sections of this introduction to the book of Philippians, I'm going to take a moment and pray this prayer for us as a church, okay? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this church. Come and be with us today. We need you. And Lord, Lord, I pray for our church that our love would flourish. God, that you would bring us into a school of love so that we wouldn't only love much, but that we would love very, very well. God, teach us how to love well. Help us to live live a lover's life, a life that Jesus would be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul. And God, by our love, Lord, I pray that we would make Jesus attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of you, our Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. So this is Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi. And it follows that it wouldn't just be his prayer, but that actually his letter, if he's writing a letter to them, he says, this is what I'm praying for for you, that in his letter he would give some insight into how to embody this kind of love, right? How to make Jesus, like, a lot, like how to live in this way which makes Jesus attractive to all. So as we study it together, we can expect to be learning about these things, right? So I'd like to take us back to the start of the passage. And, uh, and to see what it has for us today. And as we would expect, the letter begins with a salutation, as Tim so wonderfully pointed out. Um, it's, it's this beautiful introduction, and there's a whole bunch going on there. Actually, the part that you pointed out, grace and peace, I had to cut for time. <laughs> but there's a really interesting, linguistically, like we translate it grace and peace, but it's actually the grace of God be upon you and peace. And it's almost like the peace is the, like, it's like when you receive the grace, you will have the peace. Like he's giving you, please experience God's grace and peace will come. Like that's almost the way he structured it. Really, really neat. We don't get to dive into that day. Um, But I want to start with that very first line, right? This introduction, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So over the last couple of months, as I've been settling in and getting to know all of you, there's probably one thing that I have said more than anything else, or at least some kind of iteration of it. Do we have any guesses? The thing that I've likely said the most as I'm getting to know all of you? Well, 
Pro- probably, actually, if we're being honest, it's like, can you remind me of your name? Because, <laughs> because I, like, I, have to, I have to ask that question at least three or four times with everybody uh, before it gets like, you know, locked in up here. Thank you for your grace, by the way, when I do forget. I really do appreciate that. Um, but the place where I hope these conversations end up, the place where I hope we end up at is, is some iteration of, so tell me about yourself. And it's always been so interesting to hear people's stories, to learn about their passions, to discover what brought them here or kept them here for so many years. Well, Paul begins his letter by introducing himself and Timothy, who was likely also known in the community of Philippi, may or may not have been helping to actually scribe this letter down. But you'll notice that Paul doesn't just answer the question of his name, right? He also gives a tidbit of information to the church about who he is. It's like me this morning, right? I said, hi, I'm Jeff. I'm the pastor here at Blue Mountain Community Church. Or, uh, you know, if my wife, she would say, oh, I'm Raven. I'm a kindergarten teacher. Or Adana, right? I'm, uh, I've been here for at this church for this amount of time. Uh, you know, I'm Catherine's daughter, Andrew and Denise's granddaughter. You didn't say all of that, but, you know, that's all true of you. <laughs> you know, you go to your new work. It's not just Susan and Stephen, right? It's like Stephen Finance, Susan in Accounting or something. Anyways, Paul and Timothy identify themselves right at the start of the letter. This, this opening phrase, they say, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And maybe it seems inconsequential, right? But actually, I, I think this is really, really important, this introduction. It's not just me that thinks that. One commentary writer, Gordon Fee, this is what he says about that opening phrase of the book. So he writes this, he says, here, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, here is the absolutely predominant motif or theme, the absolutely predominant theme of the whole letter. Everything, everything is in, of, by, and for Christ Jesus. Jesus is the basis of their common existence. He is the focus and content of the gospel in which Paul and Timothy and the Philippians are partners, and he is the Lord to whom every knee shall bow. So so what we'll find in this letter where Paul is praying for this church to learn how to love, but not just to love, but to grow in their love, to love well, what we will find is that everything is in, of, by, and for Christ Jesus. Everything. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. It's who they are. It's also what they do. It's also the way that they're able to do such things, right? Well, we heard a little bit later in the passage to him who, um, what is it? Uh, Paul writes of his confidence that Christ who began the good work will continue it on. Like, that's Christ's work. It's how they do it. And of course, their work is also for Jesus, right? The advancing of the gospel. This is how Paul identifies himself right at the start of the letter. This is how he would start his answer to the question, well, tell me about yourself, At the beginning of this letter, where we are learning to love well and to be people of joy, that's one of the other big themes in this book, if you're familiar with Philippians. I think that's part of the making Christ attractive to all, is the overflowing of joy that we hear in this whole letter. But we find at the very beginning of it a conversation about identity. Now, I want to tread cautiously here, because I know that sometimes passages like this have been used by well-meaning Christians in a very reductionistic way. Let me explain what I mean. They look at Paul's, you know, some people, they would look at Paul's stated identity as servants of Christ, 
and assume that that is the end of the conversation and there's nothing else to say about your identity and anything else that you say about your identity is wrong because your only identity is servant of Christ. But I actually don't think that's a very Christian way or a very biblical way of thinking about this. See, Paul identifies himself as a servant of Christ here, but in other places he calls himself other things. He's the chief of sinners, for one. He also claims his Roman citizenship, piece of who he is. He's also a tent maker six days of the week for much of his ministry. The idea is not that by becoming a Christian, every other part of him and his history and everything resulting in the world, all of that disappears. All of those things instead become a part of his Christianity. Everything in, of, by, and for Jesus. Another way of putting it, maybe, would be to say that being a servant of Christ did not overwrite every other thing in Paul's life and story, but it has rewritten. It does rewrite. <laughs> it didn't overwrite it, but it did rewrite all of these things. And actually, uh, the structure of this letter is a really great example of this. If you'll let me nerd out very briefly, <laughs> like one minute. So in, in the Greco-Roman context, there were very specific ways that you went about writing a letter. Like there was a form, there were documents about this. We had, you know, that this is how you write a letter. You start with this, you do this, then you do this. There was an order to things. And Paul is following that form. In the book of Philippians, he begins with his salutation. He makes a comment about the people to whom he is writing. But then, instead of well wishes and wishing for them for their health, Paul begins to joyfully, he breaks from the tradition. He begins to joyfully thank God for his friends. This section of gratitude, it breaks from the standard of how to write a letter. This has stopped being a regular letter, and it has become something else, something distinctly Christian. It's not something totally new. It's still a letter. People would still recognize it as a letter, but it's also become something that is identifiably different for the presence of Christ in it. I'll give you a different example from the Bible. Uh, when, when Amos was here, our intern pastor, when Amos was here, uh, he was, we were, and he was just finishing up, he was telling this story of Revelation. Some of you will remember this. And there's this image in Revelation of everyone from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, singing out praises to God. It's this beautiful, hopeful picture to a church that's in, in a difficult time. But it's really interesting is we don't all sing in one language, right? God didn't bring us all back to pre-Babel times we spoke some mother tongue together. He doesn't undo the scattering of the people in that way. Instead of overriding all of the languages, he redeems all of them, right? All of them become good and blessed and sing praises together. It's not that you lose everything and only have the identity servant of Christ, but once you become a Christian, it's that this servanthood become, begins to infect every aspect of who we are until there is no place that is untouched by the redeeming work of Jesus in our lives. So what in the world does this have to do with us learning how to love well and helping others to see the beauty of Jesus, right? Because that's what all of this letter is pointing us towards, right? Well, I think love is a really funny thing, right? There's something very peculiar about it. And it's this, love is something that you need to get before you can ever give, right? 
Love actually begins with receiving. And actually, I think there are a few things that operate in this way. Grace works that way too. Forgiveness it seems this way to me as well. These are things that we need first to receive to really understand before we can go about offering what we have. We have to first receive it. And we can, we can get it from all kinds of places, right? Like hopefully we received love from our family when we were growing up, from our friends, maybe a teacher or a mentor. This isn't a distinctly Christian message. Like talk to any helping professional. They're going to tell you that you won't do a very good job loving others until you learn to love yourself, right? That's going to be the common advice. But here is the place where it becomes profoundly Christian. Paul and Timothy, these servants of Christ, they have learned something really special. They've learned that deep inside of every Christian person, there is a never-ending spring of perfect love that is poured out upon us from our Father God. I love how Henry Nouwen describes it. To him, this was the center of all of his writing, all of his theological conversation. At the very center of it was this idea that if we listen, if we come to God prayerfully, the thing that we discover in that, that quiet, still, small voice is the message that you are God's beloved child. See, that's, a, that's, a, that's a whole spiritual journey, pilgrimage, whatever you go on, the very core thing that you're going to find, you are God's beloved child. He says, long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved or wounded us, we are God's beloved. That is the truth of our lives. This is the truth that Paul discovered. It's why he can call himself chief of sinners and still believe that he is able to be used by God. Because he knows that nothing, 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 can stand in the way of God's love for him. He knows it so ingrained in his person that it's the way that he identifies himself to other people in relation to this God who loves him. Church, if, if, if you've grown up as a Christian, it might sound trite, but this is the thing that doesn't overwrite our stories because that would erase us rather than loving us. This is the thing that rewrites our stories, that takes even the ugliest bits and turns them for good. You are God's beloved child. God loves you. Whatever but just popped into your head in that moment, you know, I know he loves me, but I still need to X, Y, Z. I know he loves me, but I did this thing, I said this thing, I thought this thing. He knows. And he loves you. Listen, we, we talk all the time in the church about this beautiful free gift of salvation that Jesus offers to us. It wasn't free. It was deeply costly. But God says that you are worth the cost because he loves you. Without, he pours out his love upon us without any reservations. Church, if you want to love other people well, if you want to learn how to love well, this is where you start. You are God's beloved child. Our value, our identity, everything rooted in him. 
there's one other really famous verse that I just want to point us to as we're um, thinking through this passage. And it's, I'm just going to reread. This are verses 3 to 6. So he says, I, this is him thanking God, right? Because living in gratitude, recognizing the love that he's received as the, like the, you know, the fertile soil for his love to grow, right? This is what he says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first days until now. Being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Do you notice something in that? It's not our work, right? God is the one who began it. He is the one who carries it on to completion. Jesus started it. He's going to finish it. If you are busy striving, working harder and harder, trying to love other people, turn your mind inward to remember the ways that you are God's beloved child. Open up opportunities in your life to be a recipient of God's love and to see how Christ goes about carrying on this work that has begun in you all the way through to completion. Amen? Church, this is it, right? If we want to learn to love well, we begin by finding our identity. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, right? Finding our identity in the one whose love will never, ever fail. You can't pour out of an empty cup, right? The image that we have is our cup overflows, that there is an abundance of love that comes from God. And it's so much that we actually can't keep it in. It spills out everywhere we go. This is the invitation of Philippians. And I think, as we journey through this book, you'll see that in that overabundance experience of God's love, there's also joy. And I think that these are the things that make Jesus Christ attractive to all. Right? Okay, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that there is no, no thing that can separate us from your love. God, thank you that you are the God who comes and pursues us, who comes and meets us in our darkest valley, who calls us your beloved children, who thought we were worthy of sending your son. God, help us as a church to, to internalize this truth, to let it become so a part of us that it actually infects every single bit of us. God, let it turn us to our neighbors in love. Be with us, God. Watch over us. Fill us, we pray. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.